Sounds like we should also pray for that little one that's... Uh, Normally, I can't hear anything up here, but uh, hey, I just wanted to um, take a moment to talk about missions. Um, we have someone that is back from uh, on uh, behalf of Hope Covenant Church, gone to Haiti to do medical missions, and that's Renee McCumber. Renee, would you stand and wave your hand, everybody? Stand up. There you go. Um, Renee has this call in her life to do amazing things. Um, and she's gone now three times to Haiti, twice to Haiti as a medical missionary. And uh, just what a, what a beautiful blessing that is. And also, I want to mention that we have a team of people up at the Navajo Nation this weekend, uh, led by Jim and Debbie Selland, that are ministering to our, our friends and our loved ones up there, the Navajo Nation. So pray for them as uh, they're meeting even this morning. Well, today we are continuing our series of messages on the subject Is the Church of Jesus Christ still relevant today? Now, we have to ask that question because worldwide, and we'll speak specifically in the United States, um, membership and attendance in mainline churches is dropping dramatically. Uh, The two largest groups of Christians in the world, um, which are the Roman Catholic Church and the, um, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, are losing members and attenders at an astonishing rate. In addition, mainline churches like the Lutherans, the Episcopalians, the Methodists, many types of Baptists are also losing members and attenders at an alarming rate. Just a side note, one of the few denominations that's seeing growth is the Evangelical Covenant Church. So so that's kind of cool when you think about that. But the big picture does not look good. And the question that keeps people away from church most often is this. Um, What does the church have to say to me? What does the church have to offer me? In other words, is the church still relevant today? And this series of messages is designed to answer the question from God's word, from the scriptures, the best way we possibly can. The church of Jesus Christ is relevant today for a number of reasons. Now, three weeks ago when we started this series, Uh, We talked about the first and most important reason the church is relevant is when it is reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. You cannot believe how many denominations and how many churches in the course of a year never see one convert. Never see one person, child, teenager, or adult, who says, you know, I'm giving my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. To me, that's one of the great tragedies of our modern church is seeing uh, literally uh, millions of individuals go to church and never hear the clear gospel of Jesus Christ on any given Sunday. But not this church, not on our watch, right? We, We believe that the most important thing we can declare to the world and to people that walk through the doors of this church is that you can have a dynamic, intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ that will absolutely transform your life. It will change everything about you. And a church that is relevant is a church that is constantly doing everything in their power, and we're one of those churches, to reach one more person for Jesus, to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. It's got to be a burning desire of our heart. It can't be just something, while it's evangelism, we check it off. It has to be a burning desire in our heart to feel, to tell those that we love 
in our lives, our family, our friends, the people we work with, of the redeeming, transforming power of the gospel. It's the first thing. It's the first thing. It's the first thing always at this church. It's the first thing to reach one more for Christ. We want to do the other things well, of course. We want to do doctrine well. We want to do theology well. We want to do all those other things well. But first thing, first thing is always to reach one more for Jesus Christ. I, the, the verse that God gave me when I became your pastor 11 years ago was Galatians 4.19. For I am ever in labor till Christ be formed in you. I'm feeling literally the pain inside of me of people who do not know Christ and people, some of you here today, who are not taking one step closer to Jesus. There's a pain inside of me, and we need to all experience that pain for those who do not know Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. And that's what we talked about two weeks ago. And then, or through, so then two weeks ago, we talked about that a church is relevant uh, in our world when the church is generous. When the church is always giving out. And we talked about how first responders, we honor them. EMTs, police officers, um, fire department. You know, first responders are important. But do you know who the second responders are? Always when there's tragedy in the world, it's the church of Jesus Christ. (laughs) They're always the ones that show up on the doorstep with food and medical supplies and say, how can we help? How can we come next to you and, and relieve that pain in the name of Jesus? How can we give you a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus? And so we talked about the importance of being a generous congregation, a generous church. It's not just feeling that just we're taking care of ourselves, but we're constantly reaching out to the world. And we talked about how that we can be a generous church when three things happen, when each and every one of us as individuals give a full tithe to the local church. When each and every one of us uh, eliminate all personal debt, and that's a mandate from Scripture, and I know that uh, 90% of Americans don't do that, but to eliminate personal debt, and then as a church, to eliminate church debt. Uh, The only debt we have, of course, is the mortgage on our building. And in 2012, we want to take care of that debt and remove that so that we have more finances, resources to uh, take on staff and reach uh, more people for Jesus Christ. So we have to be a generous church. And then last week we talked about the, the mark of a church that is still relevant is a church that celebrates, but it doesn't just celebrate anything. It celebrates the enormous, <laughs> remember, furious love of God. A church that celebrates is a church that is, is compelling and irresistible and contagious around the love of Jesus Christ. And that we looked at last week as we celebrated our 25th anniversary. And today, the church is relevant when it grows kids God's way. As I was outlining these sermons uh, several months ago, uh, one of the things that the Lord showed me was that, you know, we can't really be a relevant church if we are not engaged with our children and our youth with the gospel. Those churches, those denominations I mentioned before that are losing rapidly, you can go to any one of those kind of churches, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and there's exceptions, of course, but you can go to most of those churches, especially in the cities, and you walk in there and you'll see, uh, you know, mostly what we call Q-tips, you know, you know, like me, you know, just guys and gals with white hair, right? No kids, no teenagers. You know, the, the, the kids are gone. They're not coming to church anymore. And if we want to be a church that rele- that's relevant, we have to be able to uh, win and reach our children, our teenagers for Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to share with you today. Uh, because 80% of people that come to faith in Christ, 80% of people do that before the age of 18. You think it's important? 
you think it matters that we're teaching our children about Jesus? During the first service, we have about 100 youth, about 50 youth and 50 or 60 children. We have about 100 young people on both sides of this building during first service that are being taught the Bible and being taught about the love of Jesus. Our teenagers are going through confirmation. They're going through the story. Our children are going through the story, the Bible message in story form. And, and everything that Pastor Barb and Pastor Brian does is, and all of their team, and they have a wonderful team of volunteers uh, to help our youth and our children and our teenagers um, come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That's what makes us a relevant church. It's not that we're cool or hip because we're not. I mean, our worship pastor, after all, is country. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, I'm old, so, you know, what do we, but, but I'll tell you what, we may not be hip, we may not be cool, but we, we are relevant because we will do everything in our power to reach your children, our children, our grandchildren with the good news of Jesus Christ so that other generations will be impacted profoundly by those young lives. So how many of you that are parents have this, Raising kids thing wired. You got it all dialed in. How many? Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, right, right. You just start now and say, oh man, already we don't know what we're doing. Just wait till, just wait till uh, she's 12. Uh, so anyway, so, so, we have, so we know that we need help, right? Uh, every generation needs help. In fact, Ann Landers a while ago wrote an article and uh, she talked about how that we have, uh, how we have raised children in different decades of the 20th century in the last century, starting from 1910 to 2000. And she did this in a kind of a humorous way, but there's some truth to it. Each decade seems to have a different way of approaching raising children. So she said in the, decade, the first decade up to 1910, uh, the, most parents, their philosophy was spank them. Okay? Now, I, you know, I wasn't around in 1910, but I'm still kind of old school. I kind of like that. You know, spank them. Um, uh, 1920s, deprive them. You know, don't be seen. You know, you would be seen and not heard, right? 1930s, ignore them. 1940s, reason with them. Yeah, how's, how well does that work out with a two-year-old? You know, <laughs> reason with your, yeah, that's really a good plan. Reason with your two-year-old. Uh, by the way, that was Dr. Spock in the 1940s. That's where everything kind of changed. And I believe set the stage for the 1960s rebellion is what happened in the 1940s. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. 1950s, love them. Still a good idea. 1960s, spank them lovingly. Uh, my dad used to do that a lot. Uh, 1970s, pardon my French, uh, to hell with them. Uh, 1980s, uh, let someone else raise them. 1990s, obey them. <laughs> 1990s were a great decade. It's where all the parents were obeying their children. Just tell me what to do so you won't, don't go on drugs or get pregnant. Just tell me and I'll do it. You know? No, that doesn't work. And then the 2000s, indulge them. Well, raising kids is tough. Ann Lenders took a survey of her readers and discovered that if they had the chance, the respondents had a chance to do it over again, how many of them would still have children? 60% said they would not have children. Are these the only alternatives to raising our families in this mixed up world? No. I want to offer for you another way of doing children that uh, we find in the Bible. Oh, wow, what a surprise. You know, what a shock. We've tried for the last hundred years all these other ways. Let's look at the Bible now. And, and, that, and let's call that what we want to do for the decade of, of 2010. Now, we're only uh, a year into 2010 uh, decade. So what, what can we do? What can we do biblically 
to raise our children. And here's what you get from God's word. It's very, very simple. It's two words. Simply this. Disciple them. Disciple them. Now, the word discipline comes from the root word, disciple. And uh, discipline is not primarily about punishment. That, that's not part of the nuance of the word. Uh, but it is, disciple them means to teach them, to show them, to point the way somewhere else. So, so what if we, as a congregation, hopefully as many Christians in the world, what if we desire to do something a little bit different with our children and desire to disciple them? That's what I want to bring to you today as the Word of God. Yes, these, these beautiful, little, diminutive, sometimes irascible people we call children can be discipled. So how many of you here, uh, it was a great majority in the first service, how many of you here are parents or grandparents? Well, if you're a grandparent, of course you're a parent too. Uh, and and uh, how many of you, uh, if able, uh, are still planning on either having children or having more children someday? How many of you? Okay, quite a few. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. The question that Irma Bombeck asks is why? <laughs> in one of her books, she talks about her frustration with children. She remembered how she got the three kids, but she couldn't recall why. And uh, she decided that maybe they were a 4-H project that kind of got out of hand. And I, we all, as parents, sometimes feel that. Bill Cosby in Fatherhood agrees. He said, quote, having a child is surely the most beautifully irrational act that two people in love can commit. And he says later, I don't care how bright people are. I have yet to receive a sound reason that would move a man to go find a mate and say, let's have one of these. Uh, that's Bill Cosby. Parenting is hard work. And I'm sure those of you that have children have sometimes wondered why. <laughs> Yet here we are, propagating the planet to the tune of 7 billion inhabitants. That, by the way, will hit 7 billion uh, by the end of uh, 2011. Seven billion people, and we are charged as parents and as the church to this word, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, how many of you as parents have held on to that verse tightly as you are raising your children, you're raising your family? Okay, so many of us have held on to it. Now, I don't want to give you some bad news, but I will say this. That text from Proverbs 22.6 is not a promise. It's a commandment. Too many people want to hold on to the promise side. And there's a promise implied there, of course. But it's a commandment. Train up your children in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. One author um, likened today's family to a sand castle built near the water's edge. The tide keeps rising higher and higher. And the waves keep threatening. And the very foundation and stability of our homes is in trouble. So... Let me, let me offer the, an early take-home for all of us today. And again, this is applicable for parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, everyone. Here's a word I want to give, give to you parents. We need to realize that there is a war going on for the souls of our children. Our culture, influenced by the great deceiver, wants the minds and hearts of our kids. Now, that, that, that statement kind of stuns me, but we know it's all true. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, there is a, an amazing passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 20, about the middle of the book, around chapter 16, where um, God is describing how that Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
And uh, this all was happening uh, when Moses said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no way. Am I going to let your people go? Who's going to make my bricks and build my buildings? You know, if, if we do that, and no, I'm not going to let your people. So we go through the, 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 the 10 different uh, tragedies that happened and, and all of that. And uh, finally, towards the end, Pharaoh started to wane a little bit and say, okay, okay, Moses. Okay, okay, okay. And, you know, after all of these plagues, uh, here's what I'm going to do for you, Moses. Uh, you can take your people with you. Just go. Get out of here. I'm tired of looking at you. Uh, you can take your, your, your sheep and your goats, if you have any. Most of them didn't. You can take your cattle. Uh, you can take the, your, 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 you know, your mother's hope chest. You can take all the stuff that you want to take with you. Take them. Get out of here. Leave Egypt. Go do what you're going to do. But, but Moses, hear this one thing. This is Pharaoh speaking. Pharaoh is kind of a type of the enemy, type of devil, right? Here's what Pharaoh said. He said, you can take all that stuff, but Moses, hear, hear this. I want your children. I want your kids. You leave your children, you leave your kids with me. You can take everything else. I want your kids. See, the enemy knows, whether it's 6,000 years before Christ or 2011, the enemy knows that the way to destroy a people, the way to destroy his generation, I want your children. And the enemy who is alive in our world today, moving around our world today, wants your kids. So we need help. We need help from God's word. How to not let that happen. I want to offer you this morning just four steps. Four steps for making disciples. Four steps for making disciples. And all of these come from God's word. Step number one. Get help. Um, Hillary Clinton, whether you like her politics or not, doesn't matter. She was right when she said it takes a village. It takes a village to raise a child. Every Sunday when in, in the 11 years I've been your pastor, we've dedicated more than 100 babies at Hope Covenant Church. It's and all of you know, that's one of your favorite times when we have a, a baby dedication. Um, and, and, it's, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And we hold the child up and... Behold what manner of the love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. We love that. But, but here's the thing. The most important part of that ceremony that we do is hearing from the parents that the parents are saying, you know, I promise to do everything I can to raise this child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And then what do we do? We have you, remember, we have you stand up and I ask you, are you willing to do your part in raising this child, maybe some of you will teach the child and have them in the nursery if you're a grandma, or you'll have them in the preschool or the older, or maybe you'll be teaching like Craig Smith and the teenagers uh, over here. You'll have a part, and are you willing to do your part? You see, we, we believe that we need help. Now, first of all, we, we need help from God. We can't do this alone. Um, my grandfather, uh, and this is the grandfather, my maternal grandfather, uh, Stanley Price was his name. Um, he died when I was 18 years old, but uh, he was the one that I had the privilege to lead to Christ before he died. And but he was a, he was a cabinet maker. He was a house builder. In those days, uh, there was individual men who were house builders. He would somebody would say, "I'm going to pay you some money. I want you to build me a house," and they'd do it. <laughs> they did the electrical, the plumbing, the cement work, everything. But my grandpa used to say, "There's some things you can't do alone. <laughs> can't put up the frame alone." can't put up on the roof alone. There's some things in building a house you can't do alone. And that's what the Lord wants to tell you today. Parent, grandparent, you can't do this alone. You need the Lord's help. And so we read Psalm 127, 
1 and 2. If the Lord doesn't build the house, the builders are working for nothing. If the Lord doesn't guard the city, the guards are watching for nothing. It's no use for you to get up early and stay up late working for a living. The Lord gives sleep to those he loves. Now, hold that verse. You don't know it now, Bree. You, know, uh, you don't really get sleep right now. But wait a while and uh, you'll get some sleep. But, but, but what's the point that the psalmist is making? Without the Lord, we cannot build a quality home. Marriage was God's idea. Having children was God's idea. Being fruitful and multiplying was God's idea. How on earth do we plan on building a family that was God's idea without his help? Any success in raising a healthy family depends upon God's participation. I must put God at the very center of my home. Howard Hendricks writes, You will never pull off the assignment as a parent without the Lord. You will never succeed, even though you redouble your efforts by getting up earlier and staying up later. Parents, sometimes I want to, and Sherry and I had to remind ourselves of this when our kids were small. We have to tell ourselves, okay, chill out. (laughs) There's no such thing as a perfect parent. You're not going to do it right. I mean, here we, you see this paranoid, panic-stricken, hyper-parent syndrome. It just eats away at you. Here's the message of the Bible. God is God. And you are not. <laughs> you are not. I said, oh, really? Yeah, that's right. God is God and you are not. And, and, and you cannot be a perfect parent. You can do your best and you can love your kids and all of that. That's awesome. But you can't be a perfect parent. Let me give you an example. Our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father was the only perfect parent. And the first kids he made were Adam and Eve and they were goof-offs. So if God, the Heavenly Father, can't make perfect kids, how on earth do you think you can? So you need to kind of chill a little bit and relax. Those of us who have had our kids raised, we have to remember that we did our best. It wasn't always perfect, but every child has a free will. We have to relax, and we have to know that we can't do it alone. We need God's help. Not only do we need God's help, we need each other. We need the church. Again, We have, at last count, 42 volunteers that minister to your children right now, over here, and in first service, all over here and over here. We have 42 volunteers in our church that are doing everything they can to tell your children and your grandchildren and your teenagers about the love of Jesus Christ. A church is at its most relevant place when it is leading its children to Jesus. I have, um, in my life of 30 years of ministry, I've had dozens of youth pastors, children's pastors, Christian education directors, Christian formation pastors. I've had dozens of people that have worked with me in the churches I have served. And um, what we have today in Pastor Brian and Pastor Barb are the best I've ever seen. And it's not because they're maybe the most gifted, the most talented. They're that, of course. But because of all the people I know, these two are the most passionate about reaching children for Jesus and reaching teenagers for Jesus. You can't do this alone. You know, one of the things that's kind of sad, I see it on Sunday morning early. Because uh, the teenagers come early. Did you know that? You remember when you were a teenager? Did you ever go early church? No. You went early if your folks made you. But our kids come early to church because they want to hang out. 
And so, but I, what I see is sometimes a group of parents that dropping, they're dropping their kids off and they're going to have coffee or something like that. And I understand sometimes you need some time away from your kids. I understand that. But you know what? We'll keep them on this side, we promise. We won't let them get near you. you know? but, but here's the deal. As a parent, what are you telling that kid? <laughs> You're telling that kid that religion and Christianity is for kids. It's not for parents. It's not for grown-ups. It's for kids. We can't do this alone. We need each other. We need the church of Jesus Christ. There, there's nothing that you can do that is more powerful than teaching your kids to love Jesus, to love the Bible, and to love the church. That's your responsibility because we cannot do this alone. The scripture tells us that parents, are you growing in your walk with God? That's one question the scripture asks us. And parents, are you turning to God's word for divine help and guidance? I remember when I was uh, 18 years old, I went to Moctezuma, Mexico to visit some missionaries with another friend. And when I was down there, I drank the water. Most of you heard the story. And I got typhus, which was a form of typhoid fever. And I was, I, literally, I was sick unto death. I, I think the Lord spared me. They, there was no doctor in this town. They had to drive 50 miles to get a doctor from another town to come and look at me. But after I finally got some penicillin in me and started getting a little bit better, uh, we came, we went home, and when we got home, my, the first thing my mother asked is, what happened? And the two days that I was the sickest, she couldn't get off of her knees in prayer. The Lord said, you got to pray for your kid. you got to pray for your son. There's, there's trouble. She didn't know what it was. She didn't know what was going on. But she was on her knees for two days praying for me. I don't know that you parents, I don't know, grandparents, I don't know that you can do anything better for your kids than to be on your knees for them. Pray for because you can't do this alone. You need God and you need the church. That's step number one. Get some help. Step number two, know your purpose. Psalm 127, 3 and 4. Children are a gift from the Lord. Babies are a reward. Children who are born to a young man are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Isn't that beautiful? The Bible describes children in three ways. Uh, a gift, a reward, and an arrow. Now a gift, we understand that. Uh, The idea there is that children are God's possession and that he literally loans them to us for a while. They're not ours to hold on to and to grasp hold of. Kids are on loan from God. How many of you would like to give your kids back? No, you can't do that. They're not given so that we can have our unmet childhood needs fulfilled. They are God's gifts to us. I think most of us understand that. So they're God's gifts. The second thing is they're a reward. It doesn't say a curse. It doesn't say an accident. It doesn't say a mistake. There's no such thing as an unwanted pregnancy in God's book. By the way, I have a very passionate view on this regarding abortion and all of that. If you ever want to know what I believe about that, come and talk to me. But there's no mistakes when it comes to an unborn child. They're not given so that we can, uh, you, you know, just be blessed. But God says, I want to bless you with a child. He has honored you. Now, let me say this as, an, as a caveat. If you're childless, it doesn't mean that God is punishing you. Please don't hear that. It's not true. He simply has a different plan for your life, perhaps temporarily or even permanently. But God says that children are a reward to us. So parents, we've got to start living that way. And the third thing it says about children is that they're an arrow. The word picture is that of a warrior with a bow in his hand. Andy Carey was at first service, and he is a bow hunter. So, and, and, and you see the picture of a bowman pulling back the bow. And that, now, when you do that, you don't just fire an arrow. 
It just, it just kind of takes off. You always have something you're aiming at. A target, an animal, you know, something. You're, you're aiming at something. And the point of this passage is that we as parents need to have a goal, a target, a purpose for our children when we raise our kids. We can't guide our families into a misguided world unless we know where we're going. Arrows, children, need guidance toward a target. Dads, moms, what's your purpose as a parent? What's your target as a parent? To give your kids the best of everything? God forbid that we do that. I mean, that's what's got us in this mess of materialism. That our generation was given everything we wanted. We've got to go back and start depriving our kids again somehow. To help my kid get through school and get a good job? Well, that's a reasonable thing. But is that the purpose of your life with your child? To make your kid happy? God forbid. We have too many kids that think that all of life is about making them happy. How about this? To make your kid miserable? Now, that's more like it. You know, That's more like the target I think we should have for our kids. No, not really. But after God created Adam and Eve in his own image, he pronounced them very good. Then he commanded them to make additional reproductions of his image by having children. Please hear this. God wants this world to be filled with people who have his mark on their lives, who represent him well wherever they go or whatever they do. Our purpose as parents and grandparents, our purpose is to create with all of the faith and the love that we have reproductions of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We are called to raise an image bearer, to have that mark of Jesus on their lives. Too many kids have lots of marks on their lives. It may be a soccer mark or maybe a a flute mark or a math mark. Those are all good things. But I want my children to be raised as an image bearer of Jesus Christ. That's your purpose as a parent. It's not to make sure they have a good job so that they'll pay for you when you're old. That's not the purpose. It's not the purpose to make them the best soccer player in the world. It's not your purpose to make them wealthy. It's not your purpose to do it. Your purpose is to make them an image bearer of Jesus Christ. Feel that if you're a parent or a grandparent. Know that. Own that. That's from God's word. Our purpose is not to make our kids happy. It's to make them image bearers of Jesus Christ. When we stand here on Sunday morning with a baby dedication and we hold a child up and say, behold what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. That's a mark on that baby's life. That's a mark on that baby's life. Telling that child, you're an image bearer of Jesus Christ. And when we create image bearers, They will go out in the world and they won't create a world financial collapse because they won't be interested in just making millions and millions of dollars. They will go and they will make a powerful impact for the kingdom of God because they will bear the mark of Jesus in their lives. That's what our purpose is as parents. Anything short of that is just not good enough. Step number two. Know your purpose. So easy to lose sight of our purpose. Friends, we're not here just to feed them or clothe them or clean up after them or change their diapers or chauffeur them around town and hand them money like a Pez dispenser. We're here to direct them to become God-honoring, God-reflecting individuals to be image bearers 
of Jesus Christ. Know your purpose. Number three, take responsibility for the spiritual formation of your child. As I was writing the sermon this week, I'd like to ask Alyssa, you want to come up here? As I was writing the sermon, I was thinking, who, who could I ask to come up and bear witness to the testimony of really wanting to take responsibility for the spiritual formation of their children? So when I thought of that, I thought, well, who do I know that has children that are so young that they haven't been able to be messed up yet? Uh, so, so that's why I picked Jeff and Alyssa. Uh, but, but they have this wonderful sense or, 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 or feeling of where they want to go as a family spiritually. And I wanted, in the first service, uh, Jeff shared, and I shouldn't tell you this, but he was really good, so the pressure's on. Um, uh, but uh, I want to listen to share with you kind of their view of what it means to spiritually form an image bearer in their home. Step over here into the light and keep the mic close Step to into the light. Okay. I was really nervous, and then I saw Sherry, and now I'm okay. Everything's <laughs> going to be okay. Um, so, yeah, Dwayne asked us to share why we're committed to introducing our children to the Lord, and it was really neat for us to think about it and talk about it um, with each other because we haven't really talked a lot about why. Um, and we realized that for us it's really not a feeling of obligation. Um, it's almost like a feeling of desperation because um, we spent, both of us, uh, spent a lot of our lives just feeling trapped in this mentality of just trying harder to be good and be better. Um, and we felt like there was only so much love to go around. We had to work really hard to earn that love. And we each um, sort of hit a bottom in our own lives um, where we realized we could never be good enough. And that's when we found the real good news and that God loved us exactly the way we are and that um, Understanding that was just this breath of fresh air in our lives um, because we no longer felt like we had to earn love. We understood that our job is to love Jesus and his job is to change our hearts. So there's no plan where we can make ourselves better people. Uh, we need Jesus to do that every day. And um, that was just the most free. I can't describe to you how freeing that realization has been in my life. And I don't want anybody to have to live like we used to live. And I really don't want my kids to have to live that way. And of all the people we want to share that fresh air with, our kids are the top of the list. We are so desperate for them to know God's love and his grace before they need it, before they hit bottom, so that they know where they can turn and they don't go for years trying to clean themselves up before they come home. We are by no means perfect parents. I probably don't need to tell any of you that. Um, but we do try to do three big things to teach our kids about the Lord. The first thing we do is love them with reckless abandon because we know that we are their first image of God, and that is what God does for them. Um, we live out our faith in front of them so that they can see that Jesus is in the transformation business and that we need him every single day. Um, and then we talk about God with them in our day-to-day -day lives. We pray with them. We pray for them. Uh, we sing songs with them um, and read Bible stories and all that kind of thing. Um, we know that this has worked amazingly well, and we're outstanding parents, because just a few weeks ago I was taking the kids on a walk. It was in the riparian preserve. It was in the evening. It was absolutely beautiful. The sun was setting, and I said, I thought, this is a teachable moment. So I said, Lilia, do you see all these trees? Do you know who made these trees? And she looked up at me in her beautiful little blue eyes, and she said, Grandma and Grandpa. <laughs> And so we appreciate your prayers. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you very much. God bless you.
We are responsible for the spiritual formation of our children. Another way of saying this is what Alyssa and Jeff have shared is that we have to become proactive as parents, not to assume that somebody else is going to do the hard work, but to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, because the home is where values are taught and caught. And my responsibility as a Christian parent doesn't end when I drop my kids off at church. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, the people of God were about to settle down in their new land. This is after they'd crossed over uh, the Jordan River, and now they were in the Promised Land. And they've wandered for 40 years. It's been a time of transition. God wants them to stay faithful. And he knows the only way to stay faithful is you pass on from one generation uh, the love of God. And so Moses gathers his people together and says, I want you to give you some guidelines for families. And this is what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. You, your children, and your grandchildren must respect the Lord your God as long as you live. Obey his rules and commands I give you so that you will have a long life. Then all will go well for you, and you will become a great nation in a fertile land. Now that's a great promise. But is there any conditions to that promise? What is the part of the Israelites? What is the part of you and I in raising our kids and our grandkids? The condition, this is what he says in Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 7. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Always remember these commands I give you today. Teach them to your children and talk about them when you sit at home. And you walk along the road, when you walk along the road in the beautiful outdoors. When you lie down and when you get up. Make God a part of your home, your language, your heart, your ministry among your children. This is the promise that God has given to us. There's a, and I'm going to go off off course for a minute, but the Lord just laid this on my heart. In, In Exodus 20... You know that text, it's the Ten Commandments. And you know it well, it's re- repeated in Deuteronomy. But in Exodus 20, it talks about that the sins of the fathers and the grandfathers are visited upon their children. How many times have you heard that in church? As kind of a warning, you know, if you don't get your act straight, then you're going to infect your kids and your grandkids. And we're all afraid of that verse and everything. And we should be, because certainly we've seen historically a lot of sin passed on from generation to generation. But the part that we forget is to read the part after that. To the second, third generation, sins of the fathers will be passed upon you. But to those who love and serve the Lord, that will be passed on for a thousand generations. Isn't that beautiful? We need to hold on to that. Maybe your life has been dysfunctional. Maybe you weren't a good parent. Maybe like Jeff and Alyssa, things weren't really good when you were growing up. But you know what? You can be the first generation of a thousand generations to do it right. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And to love your children in the same way. The Bible says two things in that text. It says, moms and dads, love. Love God without reservation. Be abandoned in your love for your children and your love for God. And number two, moms and dads, pass on that love for God at home and to your children. Let me say it this way. 
I loved, when our kids were growing up, I loved to teach my boys, especially Tyler wasn't too interested, but Nathan was. I loved to teach them baseball and even soccer until he was old enough to play football with his mom's permission. And I loved teaching them uh, how to ride a bike and I loved teaching them math and I, that was my, I loved to do that. And, and we loved teaching our kids about music and our, our, our daughter, Tammy, and our youngest, Tyler, were very good musicians. Our son, Nathan, was an excellent athlete, and we loved all of this. And, but So teach your kids how to play the flute. That's great. And teach your kids how to do math so that someday they'll be able to make a living. And teach them how to play soccer and football and baseball. And teach them how to play the piano and how to be a good manager of money. And Teach them how to be a good person of society and polite and kind and teach them hard work so that they'll make a good living and all of that. All that's good. But brothers and sisters in Christ, please hear this. More important than any of those things. Teach them about Jesus. Teach them about his love, his love for those children. Teach them about how that he died for their sins so that they could have life everlasting. Teach your children about the love of God because that teaching, that life that your children have will transform the world. Soccer, music, math, all good. Those don't transform the world. But the love of Jesus in one little child can change everything. Parents, take responsibility for the spiritual nurture of your children. The last thing is this. Step number four, never give up. Never give up. (laughs) Tony Evans writes, the most tiring and stressful task I know of is being a Christian parent. I agree. The temptation is always there to give up, especially when they're teenagers. To quit trying, to let our kids kind of go their own way. Okay, I'm done with you. Many of you with teenagers know this feeling well. Setting boundaries and keeping them is absolutely exhausting work. It takes a lot of courage to be a parent these days. And there are no perfect parents. So, don't give up. I want to offer you a word of encouragement as we close this morning. We're not in this battle alone. The world forces that we're up against our culture of materialism, it's no match for the Lord. In 1 John 4, 4, it says that he who is in me, the spirit of Christ in me, the spirit of Christ in you, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. The power of Jesus in me, the power of Jesus in your child is greater than the pressure and the power of the world through the enemy. So don't give up. Trust God. Make Christ the center of your family. Make sure that your kids love Jesus, they love the Bible, and they love the church. If you do that, there's a great chance that they will grow up to be an image bearer of Jesus Christ and do a work that will change the world. In 1952, at an address at Harvard University, Sir Winston Churchill was asked to give the the speech for that day. And uh, he was a very famous man, as you know. He was famous from the early 1930s, but especially during World War II. And uh, Sir Winston Churchill was known as a great man and a great speaker. And so here in front of all these fresh-faced 
uh, 19 to 21 year olds, uh, full of life and energy, ready to tackle the world, waiting for a word from this great man. Sir Winston Churchill stood up at the podium, puts his hands firmly on each side of the podium, and he said, never, 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 never give up. And he turned around and went back to his seat. To a thunderous applause of all of the suits. That's all he said. That was his entire speech. Parents, you need that speech more than ever. You need it. Never give up. Never give up bringing Christ into your home. Never give up on the purpose of making your children image bearers, being marked by Jesus Christ. Never give up. Get help. Know your purpose. Take responsibility for the spiritual formation of your children and never, ever give up. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, it's, um, as a grandfather, I look back and I, I see all the flaws that I had as a, as a parent. But then I, I, I look at my son, Lord, and I, I see him raising his children in the church and loving you and loving his wife. And, and I see him as an image bearer of Jesus Christ. I see that in my daughter and I see that as they're passing that on to their children and Lord, may we be the first of a a thousand generations to love and serve the Lord. But we can't do it alone. We desperately need your help, Lord. And we desperately need to be reminded that the purpose that we have for our children is never to make them better math students or better engineers. It's to make them image bearers of Jesus Christ. That's what will change the world. So, Father... We want to be a relevant church, and the way that we do that is do everything we can to raise our children to be, have that mark of Jesus on their lives, to be those image bearers. And I pray that our teachers and our leaders and our coaches and our parents and our grandparents will do everything in their power to reach these children for Jesus and put the mark of the Savior on each of their lives for the kingdom of God. That's our desire. That's our passion. That's our desire, Lord. That's our desire. That's what we want more than anything. And I pray that you would help us to do it as a church body. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwayne.